Welcome in to Locked On Knicks. Alex Wolf here with special guest Cyrus Satsas of the Locked On Warriors podcast. And why do I have the Locked On Warriors podcast host with me today? It's because we're talking about Dante DiVincenzo, who is the newest Nick former warrior. And of course, that's the best way to get uh, our evaluation of how he played this past season and what the Knicks can expect. So we're going to talk about strengths, weaknesses, fit with the Knicks, and a bunch of other good stuff right now on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. Starts with a five. Ewing for the win. Yes. Up, up, up. Now fires it. He's good. And he's fouled. And he's Anthony for three. All right, welcome in to Locked On Knicks. Today's show is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit fanduel.com slash locked on today to get started. And I want to thank you guys for making Locked On Knicks your first listen today and every day, whether you're checking us out on your favorite podcast platform or taking in the sights and sounds on YouTube. We appreciate you making us a part of your daily routine. Make sure you hit that notification bell on YouTube or the auto download function on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. It could be an everydayer. I'm Alex Wolf. I'm editor in chief of Knicks site, the Strickland, which you can find at the Strick.land. And as I said, I'm joined by Cyrus Satsas of the Locked On Warriors podcast. And uh, Cyrus, you just lost a good one, I think, I hope, in Dante DiVincenzo. We may as well just yeah. hop right into the discussion here. I mean, what do you think New York is getting in Dante DiVincenzo at this point? Well, this I, I, even to preface that, first, thanks for having me on. Of course. Uh, second, you, I love your intro music. Oh, thank you. Uh, it's and a custom. I, I, to, me, to me, New York City is the greatest city in the world. And the music, I could. there's some correlation there. I hear it. And third, I really wish piggybacking off what you said about bringing other locked on hosts to get their expertise on potential uh, new free agent acquisitions or, you know, wh whatever way you get a new player. in. I wish I was doing that, except the Golden State Warriors aren't doing a damn thing except <laughs> sitting on their laurels. We have no free agent acquisitions to announce except for Corey Joseph. So, uh, yeah, props for getting Dante DiVincenzo, a player who um, was one of the few bright sides uh, to the, for the Golden State Warriors last year. He's awesome. He's awesome. You, you, you scored a great player. How would you like sum up his season? Like, do you think that he had sort of like ups and downs? Was he just a consistent presence throughout the whole year? I mean, I think that the way that Gavin and I have sort of distilled him down as to what we were, you know, thinking like, hey, the Knicks are getting this is sort of similar to what they got in Josh Hart last year. And that it's just a guy that just kind of does a little bit of everything, you know, like he'll go out there. He can, uh, you know, he can shoot. He can defend. He can handle the ball a bit. Seems to be a good passer. Maybe could we'll talk about this in a sec, but maybe could use a little improvement, like getting inside and attacking closeouts and stuff. But like, is a better shooter certainly than like a Josh Hart. Uh, we know that he has that Villanova connection, so hopefully chemistry should be a thing, like from day one with Josh Hart and Jalen Brunson. Uh, but how would you, if if you were going to kind of distill his season down from this past year, what would you say his season was like for the Warriors? His regular season was awesome. Um, okay. I, I honestly like 
cannot think of uh, a single negative in, in terms of what he contributed. I mean, the Warriors got him on an incredibly uh, cap friendly uh, deal. I think it was like it was for the the, the lower mid level. It was like four and a half million. Um, his second year of that deal was a player option. He obviously opted out. And I, 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 he was again one of the very few positives for a Warriors team that otherwise completely underperformed, uh, had issues left and right. He was the one constant. I mean, it, to me, like Dante DiVincenzo is a solid, if not spectacular, point guard who actually plays defense. He's a great defender. He's also a great outside shooter. I mean, he was literally just percentage points or, or decimal points uh, shy of hitting 40% shooting from beyond the arc. Uh, in that, what you said about him attacking the paint, that was honestly the first time I've ever heard a, a criticism like that. Um, I, I've always seen him being effective attacking the paint. Uh, he's athletic, so he can slam the ball when necessary, when the opportunity presents itself. Um he is a solid passer. The only, honestly, man, until the postseason, I, my entire thinking about Dante DiVincenzo was, this is going to really suck when we lose this player. And I and I hate saying we. I mean, I'm, I'm not part of the Warriors. But when the Warriors lose this player, and I still feel that way. Um, I mean, he's, you know, I, I don't know what, what the negatives are with him. I, I'm very curious. You know, I throughout the season, for example, uh, I, was, I was constantly harping on Steve Kerr to play him more. He finished the season averaging 26.3 minutes per game. I thought he should have been 30 plus. I, I didn't think that was enough, um, you know, and the, but the playoffs were a different story. The playoffs were the first time where he looked a little overwhelmed, uh, where his shooting numbers dropped. Um, he just was virtually non-existent. And look, I don't know if you're going to get your Dante DiVincenzo. I don't know if you're, you're signing him to be a difference maker in the postseason. I'm sure he could be. I think that was his first... Yeah, it was his first playoffs ever because when he was with the Bucks, he got injured right before their championship run started. Um, so he never really had a postseason experience. To the best of my knowledge, I could be mistaken on that, but but I, I don't think he had much experience there. So that was the only negative, was just how he performed in the playoffs. It was just underwhelming. He, he didn't really do anything special. But during the regular season, I, it was spectacular. I, I cannot think of a single like negative thing to say about him. I, I think the Knicks found someone exceptional. And if he's your Derek Rose replacement, that's a vast upgrade. You're stoked. Yeah. I, I don't even know if he's necessarily a one for one Derek Rose replacement. Weirdly enough, he's almost an Obi Toppin replacement. Um, that is weird. That there's is talk. Weird. Yeah. There's talk now that if the Knicks don't make any more moves, I mean, they're going to have to basically run some combination of Josh Hart and RJ Barrett as their backup four, most likely, which would mean DiVincenzo getting some minutes like at the two, three uh, okay. spot there in the, in the backup role there. Uh, he has actually, he had prior to this year appeared in a little bit of postseason action, although he matched his entire postseason career in just this postseason with 13 okay. games. He did get 13 games in with Milwaukee. Okay. Uh, I, I think the reason that Gavin and I though, just to quickly circle back on the attacking the paint thing, the reason that we've been a little, I, I don't know if the word is like, like hesitant or whatever, like, like just questioning of his, his paint ability. He did have a couple of kind of down years or, or just one, I guess one really down year. 
Uh, yeah, I guess you could call the one kind of a down year. Two seasons ago, not this last yeah. season, but the season before. Like 20 to 21, 54% at the rim. I mean, 54% is not fantastic. It's not the worst. However, the the year, the combo year between Milwaukee and Sacramento, where, of course, he was coming back for an injury. So a little, you know, it's you could grade him on a little bit of a curve there. He did shoot 46% at the rim, which was pretty poor for a, at that time, cleaning the glass out of his combo guard. Frustratingly, they've changed his designation a couple times now. So it changes what percentile rank he ranks in. Um, but at what any rate, stat, like what, I've never seen that stat. So this is a stat that measures at the rim shooting, like within three feet or, or yeah. what else is that calculated? Yeah. So they, uh, so cleaning the glass will tabulate, um, where guys shoot. Uh, they also have this available on basketball reference, uh, but clean the glass does it where they, they do it. And then they designate the player uh, into a category. So there's usually like, like point guard, combo guard, wing um, forward or big, I think is what they officially call guys. Um, but then they give them a percentile ranking among other players in the NBA at their position. So interesting. Okay. Yeah. So this past year, he actually he recovered quite a bit. Um, you know, he was he shot. Well, I, weirdly, I don't know. So he was listed as a wing this year, which I think affected that number a little bit. Uh, so he was at sixty three percent at the rim, though, which is the second best number of his career. But again, I'm asking, like, what is at the rim? I, I first of all, like, I, like that. I would not use that stat to judge mm-hmm. DiVincenzo because mm-hmm. if you're telling me that this stat is indicating he's not that great at, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, him being an attacker, I would not agree with that. He's solid. I mean, cool. if he's if he's attacking the paint as a drive, if he's um, penetrating, whether it's to kick out or, wh- or whether it's to kick to keep the ball himself and try to score, I, I never saw a deficiency there. Um, and, oh. and, and, I'm, and I'm very curious to know, again, like, at the rim, does that mean like a layup? Like zero to ju- four feet is what it's defined as. Zero to four, zero to four feet. feet. Okay, yeah, yeah that's we- that's weird. I, he was fine to me. I did not. Right. Now look, if you're using Dante Divincenzo, like he's a point guard. Like I like I don't like and some and the Warriors were such a small team last year that you unfortunately saw Divincenzo sometimes playing the two, sometimes playing the three. You know, if 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 you if you have to put these like position designations on him, but he he's a point guard. Like, like it's, it's a disservice to him to, to take him out of position and, and, and put him against bigger, like, you know, six, seven, six, eight wings. If that's what the plan is. I know the warriors tried to do, do that a little bit. Um, it was met with mixed results, but when you play him as a point guard, which is what he should be doing, you should be defending usually the opponent's smallest, maybe quickest player. Um, I think he's fantastic, but if you, if you're going to put him on like bigger players who might be backing him down the post, uh, again, he's six, four, he's, you know, he's not like a super muscular dude. Um, so I don't, yeah, I don't know about the idea of like, like putting him in an OB top and roll. That's weird. Too. That's just bizarre to me. I, I, I can't even like visualize that it's, you know, but I don't know. I yeah. I don't, I don't think that they'll end up playing him as an OB top and replacement directly. He's just sort of filling that minute slot, um, gotcha. Gotcha. off the bench. So I, I think it's going to result in Josh Hart playing largely in that role, which another guy that's like six foot four, um, but a, a <laughs> right, little more right. sturdy at six foot four yes. and a better rounder and all that. So, uh, but I'm, you know, I'm intrigued by your description of him as a point guard. So I want to get into that in just a second. Yeah. 
Uh, but I do just want to also remind everybody that today's show is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. And you can take your first swing at betting MLB on FanDuel and get 10 times your first bet amount in bonus bets up to $200. That's right. Just bet 20 bucks and you'll land $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. That's 200 You can spend betting everything from the money line to the over-under to who you think is going to get the first home run. All in an app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Plus, when you win, you can get paid instantly. There's no better place to bet on MLB than FanDuel, America's number one sports book. I'm feeling a little rejuvenated as a Mets fan, so maybe go maybe go bet on Pete Alonso for the home run derby. That might be the highlight of the Mets season. So, you know, that guy does not lose in the home run derby. So, so maybe go do that. But also, go sign up today and visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to get up to $200 in bonus bets. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on to FanDuel official partner of Major League Baseball. All right, Cyrus, we're back. And I want to jump right into it, dude. Like you mentioned, you you think of DiVincenzo more as a point guard. I've always thought of him even back to his Villanova days. And maybe this is because he was playing next to Jalen Brunson when he was at Villanova. But it's more of like a like a shooting guard. And, you know, I think Wing is maybe stretching it a little bit because like you said, he's he's not a particularly beefy players so he's not like one of those guys that or like he doesn't have like that like plus 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 wingspan where you could be like hey you know i think as a six foot four guy he could play against like six 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 seven guys on the wing uh i would feel more comfortable with him in that shooting guard spot but i've always kind of thought of him i guess more as like a combo but the the assist numbers do paint a good picture of of his distribution ability i mean what what is it from how he played this year obviously he played with steph and uh, you know, that's going to affect things. Although the Warriors probably more so than any other team empower other players on the team to handle the ball and let Steph work off ball, which is pretty cool. Uh, but it, I don't know. I guess just what kind of led to nope. you thinking he's more of a point guard this year? Well, what you said about Steph is normally true. This year, for some reason, his, his usage rate went up. And I think that's part of the reason why uh, they went after Chris Paul and then they got Corey Joseph. Um and for some reason, Draymond Green, who is much more accustomed to handling that role, there was a reduction there. I don't, I don't know the reasoning behind that, but um, you're, you're right. Like I, I didn't watch Steven Chenzo in college, so maybe in college he was more of a two. Uh, you know, I watched him at Milwaukee, where he was, he played point there. Um, and then with the Warriors, like he was just, he was, he's just an excellent ball handler. Like, like you can trust him with the ball. He's a great passer. Um, he makes smart decisions. Uh, and, and he doesn't have this, like, sc- this scoring first mentality. I, I, that's not to say that, like, he's not afraid to take the shot and that he's not afraid to, um, you know, if he sees the opportunity in front of him to, to, to put it up, he's not, he's not, he's not going to, like, think twice before doing so, but he is an unselfish player. Um, and I just, yeah, and, and for the Warriors, like, that was the role he routinely filled was, 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 you know, this, this point guard, sometimes the two, I guess, you know, I mean, all, all these positions in my opinion are social constructs, but he basically, yeah, he was just basically someone who handled the ball a lot, was an effective shooter, was a, a solid scorer. Um, but perhaps I think his biggest value was his defense and especially in the perimeter, because that's an area where the Warriors really struggled. Uh, a lot previous, the previous off season, um, they lost Gary Payne the second, and that is who they brought in DiVincenzo primarily to replace. And, and Gary Payne II is a very defensive-oriented player. Um, and, and he did fine. Again, until the postseason, he was fine. I, I 
honestly, it was honestly shocking to see him kind of shrink in the playoffs. Uh, they they tried to give him some opportunities, and he just you know it, he just wasn't in form exceptionally. But um, yeah, I mean, I could see him as a two too. I just think if you want to get your money's worth with Dante Divincenzo, um, you're, you're probably getting that with the ball in his hands the most because he's a playmaker. Yeah. I, I love your description of <laughs> positions being social constructs. They are. Like that's spoken like a true person that's gotten to watch a Steve Kerr offense for like the <laughs> yeah. last like 10 years. Like, yeah, yeah. That's fair. Uh, that is fair. here in New York, sir, we have to find <laughs> positions. And Thomas Thibodeau, you know, he, he sticks to those rigidly. You want to play Julius Randle and Obi Toppin together? No, sir, they're both power forwards. <laughs> well, Kurt does that too, but yeah. maybe that's where they can't. I don't know. I just, yeah, I mean, you and I, I mean, if any of us are hosting these shows, we watch this game religiously, and um, you're right. In this day and age, like, I mean, I, I grew up, like, really focused on positions, and then, but, yeah, it's kind of like, it's all melted. Like, in my mind, I, I use positions more so now just to explain things clearly, but, like in a perfect world to me, like I don't think traditional point guards even have value anymore. Like if, you, mm -hmm. if you're a point guard who cannot either score really efficiently and or defend really efficiently, like you're worthless to me. Like you do not you're not going to be leading anybody to, you know, deep playoff runs. Um, that's yeah. part of the reason why I, I love Jalen Brunson. Like mm -hmm. I'm, I'm saying staying the obvious, but the, the fact that he can just body up, he's got such a, a, a strong tor upper torso and, and legs, I feel like. That he can just muscle his way in, even though he's only what like six two, six three, and um, and he can get the ball in the hole. And Divincenzo can do that. Divincenzo's leaner, right? He's thinner. Uh, you know, he's got a little height, but he's. I love his shot. Again, he shot almost forty percent from three. Um, and I, you can't get enough of that ever in the NBA. So you got a terrific three point shooter, but he can defend the wing. I just hope Thibodeau doesn't put him in a position where he's guarding guys who are like six seven, six eight routinely like that. That might be a bit much for him just because he's not a super physical guy. So if you're, you're leaning on him to like body up people, like, I don't know if he's going to win that battle every time, but he's a great player, man. You're stoked. Yeah. I, uh, I gotta say, I, I can envision a world where he ends up having to guard guys that are too big like that, because even if he ends up playing in a small lineup, it will be with other small guys that play bigger, uh, uh, yep. like, like a Quentin Grimes or an RJ Barrett or, uh, I mean, even Emmanuel quickly, like if they wanted to put Dante on the opposing team's point guard on defense, they probably could because quickly is one of those guys that's like six, three, but he's got like a six ten wingspan right. and routinely guards other shooting guards and stuff like that. Uh, so I, I, I would very much like if, if they keep Dante in that one, two guarding role uh, and can sort of utilize his strengths there. I, I, I want to ask you about that because I was curious about his defense. I mean, all the numbers paint him very positively throughout his mm -hmm. whole career on defense. Um, you know, it's just a guy that that it, no matter what, you know, he's he's not putting up crazy stock numbers or anything, but he's he's out there and the team plays better when he's on the court, which is the same as what you could say for a lot of the guys on the Knicks. Like a lot of his bench teammates that he's probably going to be playing with on what will arguably want to be one of the best benches in the NBA, I think, in my opinion, like – Daniel yeah. quickly is just like that. Josh Hart is just like that. He'll probably get a good deal of minutes with RJ Barrett, who if he's playing like the four yeah. uh, in those bench units would actually, I think that'd be very beneficial for him on defense. But what was it about DiVincenzo's defense? Is it, 
is it more man defense that that sort of stands out with him is it just help defense is it just sort of always being in the right place always hustling like what it what is it that really was like the defining quality for his his defense for you well if you're going to be a good defender playing for steve kerr you have to be a good team defender um that's really like the the, the secret to the warriors defensive success under kerr's leadership is um you know the old adage they apply to the warriors is they play defense on a string meaning they have everyone's back like like you're when your your head has to constantly be on a swivel being aware of switches, being aware of helping out, especially down low, knowing when not to help out for certain shooters. Um, so DiVincenzo is a very smart player, high basketball IQ in that regard. Um, but individually, like what stuck out to me is I when, when DiVincenzo was guarding another player, I rarely saw them blowing by him. Um, he stays in front of opposing players very effectively. Like, like he's he's the furthest from a traffic cone. Like he he's he's hustling. He's got a motor, uh, and yeah, and so like he doesn't give up on plays. Um, he's he uses his arms efficient efficiently. Like I don't know what his numbers are for steals, but uh, he, his hands are everywhere, man. Like they're just he's tipping passes. He's you know he, he's disrupting. His hands are always up, which is a super old school thing you teach basketball players in grammar school keep your arms up it's for a very good reason you don't see that as much as you should in the nba because it's it's a very simple yet effective technique just to block passing lanes and just to create obstructions visually he's one of those guys that will do that he's not lazy he's his work ethic work ethic is exemplary um you know and, and again like he's he's but he's a two-way player like he's not someone who has deficiencies offensively like when he has the ball again he can attack um He's uh, his three point shooting. You saw the numbers. I, I love him, man. I believe me. Every member of Dub Nation is bummed. Like no one here in the Bay Area is happy that he's gone. But we also knew it was going to happen just because because of the Warriors' financial situation. They literally cannot sign anyone for anything above the veteran minimum, given the the the, the cap hell they're in. Um, they lost the mid level exception with the new CBA, which is what they got Divincenzo for last year. So we all knew he was going to leave, but. It didn't make stomaching it any easier. He's he's a great player, man. You, your your team is stoked. Well, uh, let's take the final little break here and then come back and talk about DiVincenzo's shooting because you mentioned okay. it a few times. And I'm curious what his shot diet was like, what your thoughts are and all that. So we'll take our final break here and then come right back in and talk some DiVincenzo shooting to close the show. All right, we're back in. For our third and final segment here, and Cyrus, this is, uh, I can't believe we made it this far, although it, it, there were so many other intriguing things to talk about okay. with DiVincenzo, but the shooting is is probably the biggest reason the Knicks brought him in. Um, it was the thing that kind of sunk them against the Heat, and, you know, when Gavin and I were talking about this, like, especially even before they traded Obi Toppin, we were talking, we're like, where does he fit in in the rotation here? Like, if he if he gets picked up by the Knicks, like, you know, they're going to have a glut at guard and, and whatever. And I was just kind of like, look at how Miami just destroyed the Knicks. Like when yeah. they did destroy them, it was because they always had someone they could pull off the bench that could shoot. You know what I mean? Like even Duncan Robinson, like they found a way to make that work because they were like, you know what? You guys are making shots, but we know Duncan Robinson can. So the fact that he's not great at defense won't hurt us because he could shoot and we just need somebody to make threes on you guys right now. And the Knicks just did not have that answer. I mean, they literally had to play once Emmanuel quickly got hurt. Uh, they literally had to play Quentin Grimes 48 minutes, the one game along with Jalen Brunson, 48 minutes. And, you know, they both came up enormous and the Knicks won that game, which was awesome. Mm -hmm. And Quentin Grimes had maybe the most gutsy 
play of of my Knicks life uh, against Jimmy Butler, like stopping him and all that stuff. You know, stuff a legend, whatever. It was cool. It was fun. But the, the Knicks found themselves constantly in need of shooting. And whether that was self-created or even just spot-up shooting, like they needed both. They needed all the above because the only guy that could consistently create his own shot was Jalen Brunson. The only guy that could consistently draw the defense out uh, as a as like a spot-up shooter was Quentin Grimes. And that was it. And that's why those two guys had to play 48 minutes that one game. Um, but DiVincenzo, it, it seems like he he brings a little bit of both to the table, which is great, where you can kick it to him and he can hit a spot-up shot. But it also seems like he maybe has a little bit of self-creation. I mean, what was what was your take on what his shot diet was like with spot-up opportunities generated by, like, the Stephs and the Draymonds of the world versus, like, sometimes getting the ball in the perimeter and having to kind of make his own shot happen? It's it's not a concern. That's one of the one of the many great things. Like he can, if, if let's say the shot clock's running down and suddenly you need points, he, he can create his own shot. Uh, he's again, he's a terrific ball handler. Um, he's he's the, the only thing last year that kind of was a disappointment, as I mentioned before, was the postseason, um, where his numbers like re- regressed, and I don't know why. Like last year, for example, he was he shot thirty nine point seven percent from from beyond the arc, which is exemplary. That's that's a great number. Um. And then his his field goal percentage at the same time uh, overall was forty what forty three point five percent so like forty four uh, I think his two point field goal percentage was fifty two point five percent but then when you when you go to the playoffs his three point shooting went down to thirty four percent his field goal percentage went down to thirty seven point five percent his two point percentage went down to forty five percent and I don't know why that is it's just it's just shots that were going in suddenly stopped. Um, which was a bummer. And so, you know, but, but that was, that was the only blemish in an otherwise great year. Like, go, like thinking back to that heat series, for example, I do think DiVincenzo's value more so is on the defensive side. So like, like DiVincenzo would have brought tremendous value guarding, um, uh, uh, what's his name? The, the point guard from Toronto who was on the heat last year, Kyle Lowry. Like yeah. he would have, he would have, I think done great defending him, Struess, Vincent, I know most of these names are probably gone from Miami. I even think he could have held his own against Jimmy Butler. I don't think Butler would have just run over him that easily. Like he, DiVincenzo is a fantastic defensive player. Um, if you're asking him to guard anyone beyond Butler, you might be asking too much at that point. And even Butler is asking a lot, but still, at least he's not like DiVincenzo is not just a, a shill out there. Like he would hold his own offensively. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, like he's not like a, like he's not like a like like an all star level player offensively. Like he's not someone who you're gonna rave about for days to come because like he just blew you away in terms of what he does. But he's a terrific ball handler. Like you're not gonna steal the ball from him. Like you're you're comfortable with the ball in his hands. Uh, he can facilitate the offense, and he's got a, a terrific shooting. Uh, got terrific touch on his shots. So yeah, I don't you know like. I honestly like the only weaknesses with Dante DiVincenzo's game is just he's six, four. I mean, he'd be better six, seven, but that's it. I, you know, I, I think you're stoked. I Knicks fans, you got a winner. Like, congratulations. Like no one, no one with the Warriors is happy. We lost him. I, it's just, you had cap space. We didn't. So mm-hmm. enjoy. <laughs> so I think the, just the very last thing to touch on, it's come up a few times and I've been, yeah. I've been skirting it. Cause I don't want to, I don't know if I necessarily want to know the answer to this, but why do you think that he struggled like he did in the playoffs? Do you think it was just a just a comfort level thing? Do you think it, w- it had something to do with getting playoff level intensity 
like against him while he was on offense? Like, did that make a difference? Like harder closeouts and you know, just in general, the higher intensity level of playoff I think play. Or do you, it was a combination of things. It, it, you yeah. went from playing, you know, uh, the other twenty nine teams to suddenly just playing two, and those two teams were both long. They were both big. Mm-hmm. Uh, referring to the Sacramento Kings, who actually were, were in the regular season were not great defensively, but in the postseason they ratcheted it up big time. That that home crowd there was incredible. Um, so the and the Warriors throughout the regular season, like they played, they play small ball. That's that's what they do now, and which is a huge concern, given. The, uh, currently, the roster has no one on, on it taller than six nine, uh, which is again a massive concern. The the average height in the NBA is six seven, um, so the, the, that issue didn't present itself so much in the regular season. Uh, but in the postseason, I think Divincenzo was constantly dealing with with opposing players who had inches in height, never mind wingspans that are massively long. Um, so his looks weren't quite as clean. Uh, the pressure was obviously much more intense. Um, you know, but the, I think the Lakers really caused problems with their length and their size. And I think that was a huge part of it. It was a, it was a huge disappointment though in the King series. I wish I could tell you why, um, there was a lot of expectation for DiVincenzo to have a good series, um, against his former team, especially. I think a, l- a lot of expectations from the fan base here was great. Go get them. That's your former team who gave up on you. Um, but for some reason he underperformed the why of that, if I had to guess, uh shots don't fall as easily in the postseason for for numerous reasons pressure being a lot of them um officiating gets a lot tighter uh you know so you don't get the the easy calls as much going to the line as much um all of that could have played played a factor but again you're talking about two playoff rounds where it was so so but then you have a you know 82 game sample size that was exemplary um so and you know with, with a player like him he's still relatively young he's what 26 uh, so and he didn't, doesn't have a ton of playoff experience. Um, so if I'm a Knicks fan and I'm looking at that, I'm thinking, hopefully, as an optimist, he learned from that. And next time he'll be better prepared. Cool. Well, I hope so, too, because the Knicks have playoff aspirations again. And that's oh, yeah, the, that's the whole reason they're going for a player like this, because you want a guy. I love your team, be... man. Love your yeah. team. Yeah. So do I. I, I hope that. <laughs> I hope things I hope things work out really good this year, and I hope DiVincenzo is great. Certainly appreciate the scouting report, Cyrus. Uh, thanks so yeah, much. Do, do you have anything you want to uh, plug or anything uh, before we sign off for today? No, just that um, Julius Randle was one of my my uh, my goals this offseason for the Warriors making a blockbuster trade. I thought uh, your your fan base had soured on him a little bit, so his value might have dipped. But the Warriors are doing what they're doing. I can't explain it. We'll just have to sit back and see what happens. But uh, congrats to the Knicks fans. Um, I think most of the country wants you guys to be successful. It's Madison Square Garden is a shrine. I went to a playoff game there uh, where they played the Nets back in like the mid 2000s. And it was an incredible experience, man. I completely understand why that's a Shangri-La of NBA arenas, man. It is. It's it's a special place. And I I want playoff basketball there. So keep it up, you guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. I I think the Julius Randle train maybe maybe a year too late at this point. <laughs> the, this time last year, we would have all been like, "Please take him," but you know, another another All NBA season. <laughs> exactly. It seems yeah. like Knicks fans and the front office, especially, are ready to hold on to him for another year. So may, maybe next year, though, we'll, see, we'll revisit <laughs> next year if things go wrong this year. At any rate, thanks for joining me, Cyrus, and thank you everybody for listening. Uh, of course, we've got some more great episodes coming your way. I believe uh, this time tomorrow, Gavin will be talking with Howard Beck uh, again to get some thoughts on the Knicks uh, offseason so far. We're going to have some more crossovers 
coming up as well because there's some potential trade targets and things of that nature that we want to get into. So uh, keep your ears out for that. But until next time, thank you all for listening and talk to you soon. Peace out, everybody.